Modern Love, the podcast, is made possible with support from Living Proof. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Living Proof's dry shampoo is so good at actually cleaning hair that you can take a spin class and not wash your hair after. Use the code LOVE at livingproof.com for a free travel-sized dry shampoo with your $20 order. We are the science. You are the living proof. And by Squarespace, providing tools that help people showcase their passions with a customized landing page, website, or online store. Also offering domains, hosting, and 24-7 support. Get your free trial at squarespace.com slash modernlove. You should. Squarespace. From the New York Times and WBUR Boston, this is Modern Love. Stories of love, loss, and redemption. I'm your host, Meghna Chakrabarty. No one forgets the first time they fall in love. The butterflies, the giddiness, the late nights and long phone calls, or maybe now the text messages and Snapchats. Falling in love feels like the most important dramatic thing that could happen, unless that experience is accompanied by an actual fall. This week, Dakota Fanning brings us Natalie Lindemann's heart-racing modern love piece, Celebrating the Upside of an Emotional Plunge. Last summer, I fell 100 feet into one of the steepest canyons in the United States. After tumbling 75 feet down the near-vertical canyon side, I dropped another 25 feet in freefall, landing in a dry stream bed between granite boulders. People said my survival was a miracle. Fallen hikers are airlifted out of Eaton Canyon in Altadena, California, the site of my fall on a regular basis. Every year, several die. I have always loved falling. When I was three, my favorite game was mantle jumping. My dad would place me on the mantle, steady me, and step back. I'd push off and fall for that perfect rush of a second before he caught me, swinging me to the ground. In high school, I found a teenager version of mantle jumping by leaping off high, rocky cliffs with my friends into the ocean below. I loved the way the wind whistled in my ears, making me feel so alive. Yet, if I was passionate about adventure, I was cautious about passion. As my friends fell in and out of love, I comforted them, their faces flush with grief. Until one day, I, too, took the leap and told the confident captain of the football team that I liked him, and he said he liked me. A week later, he sent me an email saying he was dating a girl he had met at camp and that she was a lot like me, except blonde. 
I used this experience as an excuse not to get invested in any more boys. After my first kiss with one boy, I ignored his texts until he stopped trying. I told three more who asked me on dates that they were great friends. And I stopped texting another when he brought up homecoming. I wasn't looking for a boyfriend. I was looking for adventure. A boyfriend would only slow me down. Then near the end of my junior year of high school, a senior named Wilder asked me to prom and I said yes. Maybe it was because I knew he would be leaving for college soon. Right after I said yes though, my heart started pounding and I raced into an empty classroom to breathe for a minute alone. The smile on my face was so big, it hurt. Prom was a group event, not really a date, but he was still there, this boy, looking at me as no one ever had. Be casual, I told myself sternly, just because Wilder had kissed me on a lookout while the city lights blinked in the distance didn't mean he wasn't still leaving in three months. I was determined to keep things casual as we headed out on our first real date. To escape the early summer heat, we decided to hike the Sage Line Trail to the waterfall in Eaton Canyon. Dozens of hikers were already splashing in the pool when a college-age hiker asked if we had heard of the second waterfall only a mile beyond. You want to go? I asked Wilder, already half-standing. Although the path is unmarked, we tramped another 20 minutes up the steep incline and found it. Beautiful and isolated. In my head, I kept shouting, casual. But it was difficult to hear myself over the water crashing around us as we kissed in the spray. It didn't seem real. How perfectly I fit into his arms as the sun warmed our dripping skin. If we had paid more attention going back, we might have realized we had turned down the mountain too soon. But just being around each other was making us high. It was so easy to be with him. The way he didn't go too slowly, trusting I could keep up. And the way he laughed when I told him about the day Amy caught him staring at me in history. And he admitted it wasn't the only time. I'm in such trouble, I thought. We were coming around a curve in the canyon wall, hurrying to get back while it was still light. It was more like rock climbing than we planned for, and we had to go flat against the wall and move carefully along a narrow ledge, but we figured it would get easier around the bend. Wilder went first, searching for notches and footholds, finally making it around. Then I went, feeling for handholds, my face inches from the rock. I traced where he had grasped, reaching back with my left foot, searching for the ledge, And suddenly, I wasn't holding on to anything. Sandy grit was skittering down the mountain alongside me. I was falling. I thought I would be okay, but when I saw the panic in Wilder's eyes, I realized there would be no outstretched arms this time. No ocean waves. I knew how to fall, but not like this. I woke up to the sound of helicopter blades. Someone had covered me with a shirt. 
I was warm, comfortable, so tired. A man in a jumpsuit lifted me, wrapped me in a tarp, and clicked me into place. A cable carried me into the air. It struck me. I had just fallen, and now they were taking me up even higher. My dad found me in the too bright emergency room and tried to hold my hands, but they were a bloody mess like the rest of me. Wilder's in the waiting room, he said. Nurses cut away my clothes with giant scissors and wiped the dirt and blood from my body. I heard scattered phrases, 100 feet, fractured vertebrae, a miracle. They asked me to push against someone's palm with my heel. I didn't understand why everyone was amazed to see me move my fingers and toes. Finally, they rolled me to a bed, put oxygen under my nose, and stuck a needle in my arm. I fell asleep. Wilder visited as soon as he was allowed, but I was too out of it to say anything except, thanks for the flowers. I was on heavy pain medication, time passing in a blur of visitors and drugged sleep. When he came the next day, though, I was ready. You're off the hook, I said. He sat next to me on the bed, my ivy dripping behind his shoulder. What do you mean, he asked. I explained in my drug speech that he didn't have to come to the hospital or hang out with a broken girl all summer. No guilt. I'd call him when I was healed and back to normal. He stayed with me until a nurse kicked him out. Five days later, I was home. Doctors said I would have to wear a corset-like brace from my hips to my neck for eight to twelve weeks, and then we could talk about recuperation. A week earlier, I was the girl who leapt off cliffs into the ocean and jumped at the chance to find the second waterfall. Now, sitting up for twenty minutes exhausted me, and I could barely move without wincing in pain. My family rushed around in a state of semi-panic, Everyone wanted to know if I needed another pillow, something to eat, and when I'd taken my last painkiller. I hated being weak. Wilder kept visiting, and it scared the hell out of me. I couldn't stay awake for more than three hours, needed help with the simplest movements, and smelled like blood. But when he came, I fought to look like the girl he had asked to prom. I'd brush out my hair, still full of canyon dust, wear a long skirt to cover my battered legs and make sure bandages covered my wounds. I looked as if I had been mauled by a tiger, but the brace covered most of it. I'd laugh, roll out of bed, and walk around, as if keeping in constant motion would prove I was strong, independent, and unhurt. But after a few hours, my eyelids would droop and my back would beg for relief. I figured he'd leave while I slept, but... I'd doze off listening to him playing basketball with my little brother. And when I'd wake up, he'd be eating dinner with my family. Sometimes I think my body saved itself that day by learning to surrender. That those years of falling prepared me to relax into the 100-foot plunge. But it was weeks after the fall before I could truly let go. I thought I could use my injuries as an excuse to push Wilder away. I thought I could keep things casual. I thought I could forget the look on his face as I fell and ignore the terrifying feeling of longing in my chest. But I couldn't. 
Maybe it was the way he said, I'd rather spend my summer with you than any other girl. Maybe it was how being around him made me forget the brace and the wounds, made me feel whole and unbroken. Finally, surrender became not just inevitable, but exhilarating. I didn't want to hold on to anything anymore. I wanted to fall, and I already had. Then I knew that this time too, I would be okay. Dakota Fanning, reading Natalie Lindemann's piece, Celebrating the Upside of an Emotional Plunge. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if the sound in the hall was actually a footstep, The real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. This podcast is supported by Carvana. Looking for a new set of wheels? Shop for your next car the convenient way. 100% online with Carvana. Whether you're shopping for a vehicle at your leisure or if you need to get on the road, Carvana makes it super easy and hassle-free to browse their massive inventory of cars whenever, wherever. Plus, Carvana has thousands of quality cars for under $20,000. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for cars the convenient and affordable way. We'll talk with Natalie about healing, about her heart, and about Wilder after the break. I'm Katie at Living Proof, and we get love letters all the time, like this one. Dear Living Proof, I've used so many dry shampoos, but my hair still gets greasy, and I wear a ponytail by day three. Your dry shampoo has my hair so clean and full of body that it's still down on day four. This is the most effective dry shampoo I've ever used. Love, Cat. 
You can use the code LOVE for a free travel-sized dry shampoo with your $20 order. Livingproof.com We're back. This is Modern Love, the podcast. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and with me now is the author of this week's essay, Natalie Lindemann. Natalie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Also, we are joined by Daniel Jones, editor of the Modern Love column for The New York Times. Dan, great to have you. Good to be here. So, Natalie, you were, what, 17 when you wrote this for Modern Love? Yes, 17. Still in high school. Senior in high school. (laughs) Yeah. What a huge experience. Scary and inspiring at the same time to have as a 17-year-old. What was the reaction from people who read your essay? It's funny because... um, The story that's published in Modern Love is first and foremost a love story. So even though it's connected to this sort of crazy physical experience that I had, I was only 17 when I wrote it. So the story is kind of the piece of the entire experience that I was able to absorb and put into words. The majority of the response I got to the Modern Love piece was about the terrifying but ultimately super rewarding experience of falling in love. So, Dan, do I have this right, that Natalie was the youngest modern love contributor ever? Yeah. From the New York Times perspective, uh, Natalie is a child, (laughs) or was at that time, meaning she couldn't even sign the contract that we require writers to sign. But that was the only way in which she was a child. I mean, the, the sophistication of this essay and what she talks about, you know, Meghna, I don't know what your writing was like when you were 17. It was not like this, (laughs) that's for sure. You know, I know I was pretty much reading comic books at that time. I'm not really sure what I was writing. But the way that she weaves this experience and manages to um, talk about vulnerability and letting go to let yourself fall in love when you've been bracing yourself against that, the essay just grabs you from the beginning. Yeah. Okay, so tons of questions to ask you, Natalie. I know that, as you said, this is a love story. But first of all, are you completely healed from the injuries you sustained in the fall? Yes, yes. Amazingly, actually, I was playing volleyball at about 80% the August of the summer I fell. Um, so I, wow. <laughs> I'm completely good to go. I do, I do have scars. I sort of have the tiger claw-shaped scars on my back, but... I kind of like those, um, and and everything else is completely <laughs> physically fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's fantastic to hear. Okay. I'm super and, lucky. And now, I guess what everyone else really wants to know is wilder. Yes. <laughs> still together? No. No. Yeah. No. Not still together. Okay. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, no. Wilder was the best first boyfriend, first love I could have ever dreamed up. And we had a really sweet high school relationship. And about a year later, I was getting ready to go to college. And I didn't want to be in a relationship with anybody <laughs> at all. Um, and so we broke up at the end of the summer. And that was that was the end of that. And that was also perfect. So, Natalie, I'm curious about whether or not this lesson of learning to to let go and relax into the, the the falling in love, has that stuck with you? The kind of really wonderful, cool thing that really took years to sink in for me after the falling experience was this capacity to to be vulnerable, but to know at a core level that everything is and will be okay. You know, I will be okay in relationships. 
and I will be okay physically and that I'm held kind of by the world. Have you been back to the canyon since then? Yes. My my dad was obviously very upset about what happened, and he wanted to go to the place and look up and see where I'd fallen oh, and, like, God. what, like, assess the situation. Like, what happened here? Like, what the heck went wrong? <laughs> and I wanted to come with. And it's pretty hard to see because, you know, trees and brush and all of this stuff. And it's and 100 really feet up, a real right? trail yeah. and it's 100 feet up. And some guys came walking past us and asked us if we knew where the second waterfall was. And my dad yelled at them, <laughs> <laughs> pointed at me and said, no way, this is what happens when you go to the second waterfall. And they were like, okay, but yeah, so where is it? <laughs> I remember when we were talking and working on your essay, when we were talking about your story and you had told me that, You'd fallen into pretty soft sand between two boulders, right? And that it wasn't very much distance either either way where you would have fallen that free fall part of the fall onto rock. Yeah, it's amazing. And I don't know how to explain sort of the, <laughs> the crevice that was <laughs> full of soft-ish sand and dirt and little pebbles as opposed to the two giant hard rocks I fell in between. Yeah. So, yeah. Can I just say all of a sudden, I'm just feeling for your dad a lot right now um, as (laughs) a parent myself (laughs) and your mom. I'm feeling for your mom as well because it's amazing and inspiring that you have pulled this profound life lesson out of this very scary experience that you had. But again, the parent in me is thinking, I wish that that same life lesson could have come without you like almost dying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... uh, since I was conscious enough to really understand what had happened, I've always felt that out of every single person involved, out of Wilder, definitely out of my parents, I was the luckiest person in the entire situation because I was the only person who who knew throughout the whole time that, you know, yes, I can move my fingers and toes. Yes, I know what day it is. I'm here mentally, emotionally, physically. Nobody else could be inside my head and know that I was okay. Well, Natalie Lindemann wrote the Modern Love essay celebrating the upside of an emotional plunge. She'll be graduating from Pitzer College in May, and she's completing a book of essays called Falling and Other Ways to Get from Here to There. Natalie, thank you so much for speaking with us. It was really a great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great speaking with you guys. And Daniel Jones, editor of the Modern Love column for The New York Times, always great to have you. And thank you so much for helping bring these life lessons to all of us without having to go through something as scary as Natalie actually did. (laughs) My pleasure. Special thanks to Dakota Fanning, who read this week's essay. You can see her later this year in a film adaptation of Philip Roth's American Pastoral, opposite Ewan McGregor. Next week on Modern Love, Michael Shannon, best known for Boardwalk Empire and Revolutionary Road, brings us the story of unexpected happiness brought by a dreadful disease. Well, there is a theory that people with Alzheimer's heal themselves of their diseases because they forget they have them. Alzheimer's has, in a sense, healed my grandmother and our family. And later this week on Modern Love, specifically on Valentine's Day, remember how we asked you to email us your favorite quotations on love? Well, you'll get to hear them come together in a beautiful bonus episode that we'll be releasing on Sunday. So stay tuned for that. 
Modern Love is a production of the New York Times and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. It's produced, directed, and edited by Jessica Alpert, John Parati, and Amory Sievertson. The idea for the Modern Love podcast was conceived by Lisa Tobin. Iris Adler is our executive producer. Daniel Jones is the editor of Modern Love for the New York Times and advisor to the show. Music for the podcast, courtesy of APM. Remember, we always want to hear from you, so subscribe to Modern Love on your favorite podcast app and write us a review of this week's episode. You can also share your thoughts at facebook.com slash modernlove and on Twitter as well. I'm at Megna WBUR, that's M-E-G-H-N-A-W-B-U-R, and Dan is at Dan Jones NYT. I'm Megna Chakrabarty. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.